I had to giggle this morning because Phil's got one of those like Roombas, but it's like not a Roomba. It's an off-brand of Roomba, okay? I just call it the robot. I hate it. I There's something about a machine following me around my home that really gives me the creeps. And I appreciate the fact that it's sucking up dirt while it's stalking me, but the caveat to this is that I actually enjoy vacuuming, which when we have these conversations between him and myself, I'm like, I love vacuuming. And he's like, when was the last time you vacuumed? And I'm like, touche, my friend, touche. So he puts this, this robot on and he did it the last couple of mornings and he barricades certain areas so it like doesn't go in certain directions. He's no, he knows I have an issue with it. So we block off the hallway leading to my office. <laughs> and when it starts heading down that hallway, like the other day it started heading down the hallway, all of a sudden I see his shadow appear and he like peeks in my doorway and he's like, shutting my door slowly because he just like knows it like irks me so he barricades certain areas that he wants clean so he takes all the dining room table chairs and lines them up around the carpet because he wants to keep it in that carpeted area for a period of time and then i go back in my office and i hear him say <laughs> he he gets so much joy out of the amount of dirt this thing sucks up that like he says to himself by himself out loud oh my god <laughs> and i can i can hear him from my office and i'm just like sitting here giggling to myself like wow it really is the simple pleasures for you and it it kind of this snowballs into the bigger topic at hand that i want to dig into today and it's how in uh, the mind, in the mind, I'm giggling, but not really, in the mind of a trauma and, and body of a trauma survivor, uh, it's the simple things too that trigger us. <laughs> no, for real, hang with me. The small things are big things to us, and that doesn't always make sense to an individual who is not a trauma survivor or an abuse survivor. Like, I cry all the time, and I can't always explain why I'm crying, but I don't look at tears as bad. Most people, I feel like society as a whole, like I feel like the messaging up until this point in our lives has always been like, tears equals bad stop crying was like the message I got growing up or what are you crying about? There's no reason to cry. All not good messaging, by the way. Don't say that to your children at all. Like, be like, I understand you must be upset right now because you might not feel equally the same about something or believe they need to cry. But if they filtered it a certain way, their tears are valid. It's a little piece that everybody kind of misconstrues. I can experience something and you can experience the same thing. And I'm going to process it very differently than you and therefore react and respond very differently than you. And so 
me judging your reactions is unfair to me and unfair to you because you and I are living very different experiences in our head, in our heart, in our body based on our past experiences, based on our belief system, based on our self-talk. You get the picture. So in today's episode, you know, after I give you a little brief rundown or a funny story or something, don't really know what I'm going to give you today because I didn't really think it through. I'm just trying to talk before the sirens start going outside. I feel like if I beat the cops (laughs) and the ambulances in the morning into recording this or the kids on the playground, like there's a community pool Like, I can see it right out my window. There's a park and there's a school. So, like, the kids at recess play at the park and the kids then after school go to the pool. So, you can hear all of that in the background on top of the fact that I'm literally sitting in my office looking down on the parking lot and down on a corner of the street where our gate is. Yes, it sounds fancy. I live in a gated community. Not really. I mean, it's gated for what it's worth, but you could walk around the fence. (laughs) Needless to say, when a car pulls up and doesn't have access to open the gate, if you live here, you have access to opening the gate with your car. If a car pulls up and can't get through the gate, they lay on their horn. And my office window looks down on that city living, y'all, city living. You can't get better than this. I I am never bored when I look out my window. This morning, I watched a man carrying around his little iPhone tripod, which I have, so no hate, no shame, no judgment, got one myself. I just don't walk outside with it, (laughs) but to each their own. I watched him walk outside while I was sitting and journaling on my couch and it looked like he was just like smoking a cigarette but then he was like squatting on the ground and I was like huh all right well you know what like squats are really good for you actually like that's like a natural poop position when you squat and learn that in yoga and it's good it helps you digest food quicker and move things through you quicker so maybe that's what he's doing like having his cigarette and prepping his body for his morning poop But then I saw him like looking off in the distance and like hitting something with his hand. And then I saw him pick it up and I was like, what is that? Oh, that's like a tripod. Oh, you are doing the same thing I do when I go to the beach. You are casually positioning your phone in a way to take a not so posed but posed candid of yourself to then post to Instagram later. Guilty. So yeah never bored up here anyway back to my point today's episode i'm gonna be speaking to the partners of trauma survivors and abuse survivors i think it deserves its own episode i've been posting more content on it i've been getting more questions on it i think it's a brilliant thing to cover because it i don't see it covered enough and a lot of professionals speak to the people that are traumatized But how do you support somebody who is? How do you support someone you love unconditionally? And as somebody who is living with trauma myself, right, and has been through abuse and has a really supportive partner, what what a better voice to speak on the topic than me. So uh, that is today's episode. We're going to dig in briefly, but drumroll, let's give you a little update into Amy's world. Okay, so 
A couple weeks ago, I had the honor and the pleasure and the privilege, and I actually do not remember if I told you this or not, of participating in my nephew's swim class. <laughs> First of all, best aunt in the world, okay? Auntie Amy is a badass. You ask me to do something for this child, I am doing it hands down. And this child is also like, he's got his mood swings lately, okay? He is very much like if mom is present, he wants mom and he does not want to be held by other people. But it's hit or miss. Sometimes he's in a really pleasant mood and has a really good day and he's cool. He'll hang out with auntie. He'll play with auntie even if mom's in the same room with him. But more times than not, and he even does it to his father, like it's mom all the way. He will crawl on mom. He will cry if mom's not, you know, picking him up, if she's busy, if she's cooking. So he's a little temperamental. So you kind of really appreciate when he's not because you're just like, oh, right, I love you so much. You're so cute. And then you're like, you're a little shit today. You're a little shit. And I show up all the time for you. And you're a little shit. Which, I mean, I feel like is a metaphor <laughs> for all relationships, right? Like, they have highs and lows. They, there's conflict. There is misunderstandings. There are mood swings. There are two different personalities. There are two different belief systems. And it's just constant coming together and, and seeking to understand one another and find new ways to work together. And I'm learning that in a very different way being around my nephew. So my brother and sister-in-law have him in swim lessons. And usually they alternate. Like mom gets in the pool with him one week and dad gets in the pool with him another weekend. But then they realized that every time they handed him off to the instructor, he wailed. This kid was like, no, fuck no, you're not doing that to me today. And I'm going to make this miserable for everybody in the swimming pool. And I'll tell you what, this is a Tulum sized pool. Okay, this is a small and if you don't know the reference, like Tulum pools at <laughs> at like uh, any type of resort or whatever, they're kind of small. They're small little things. And then there's like a million people packed into them like you know, girls in thongs, booty shaking. So when we, Phil, I, myself, my brother, sister-in-law, and my nephew walked into this facility, Phil and I had never been there. And Phil like looked at the pool and he's like, all right, Aim, it's a Tulum-sized pool. And I'm like, great, how many people are in this class? <laughs> this is not the memory of Tulum that I had. So it was actually just one other child and us, which was like slightly intimidating, but comforting. I do well in one-on-one -on -one environments. If I'm comfortable with you or you're completely strange to me and I don't feel like, you know, uh, I, I'm set up in a situation where you may not like me. Like if I already go into a group environment where I'm like, Either I don't care if you like me or not, or I know for a fact you all do. I'm completely confident and comfortable. But in most situations, I'm best one-on-one. -on -one. And I was rather nervous about going to this swim lesson because when I got to their apartment that morning, they were like, oh, we should probably give you a heads up about a few things. And I'm already like, dude, do you know how long it took me to find a bathing suit that was child appropriate to put on? 
All of my bathing suits show my ass. Straight up. So I had to like, she was like, it's okay if you wear a two piece. And I'm like, not my two pieces. Luckily, I had a one piece. It's a couple years old. It's slightly, like, it slightly shows my butt, slightly, like, it doesn't cover the entire thing, but that's, I'm, I'm voluptuous back there, okay? I'm a blessed individual from behind, so most swimwear does not cover my butt, and I'm okay with that, but this was, like, I had a one piece that said, like, mermaid on it. I was like, cool, child appropriate, this works. But that took me a hot second. So I was also like, I'm holding this kid. Like, what is he gonna? This is how much thought, okay, went into this swim lesson. That took me, like, all morning to be, like, trying on bathing suits and going, okay, is this one too big? Because if he grabs my shoulder, like, the last thing I want to do is flash the instructor. So found a swimsuit, got myself kind of worked up, like didn't know what I was in for or what to expect. For some reason, I've got a thing, like I'm so comfortable with my body and I'm, I don't get insecure about wearing a bathing suit, but there's something about, (laughs) and I want your feedback on this. There's something about going to a pool (laughs) or the beach and taking your clothes off to reveal your bathing suit. Like there's something about that action right there that makes me a little insecure. Like I feel like I'm unclothing myself for the world to see where as if I already walked in half naked, I'm comfortable with that. But no matter what, hands down, no matter where I am, even in Tulum, when I went to the beach, if I had like jean shorts and a tank top on, taking those off, I get a little insecure. I get a little paranoid because I'm triple checking myself. Like, did a nip slip? You know, did I pee myself accidentally? Like, what's happening down there? Let's make sure. Because, again, I come from a an upbringing, a traumatic one, where I kind of lived in a self-centered world, paranoid of how everybody was judging me because people were. That was a hostile environment. And so... I went into the world living in a hostile world. And Phil will always remind me, like, you have a choice. And he quotes somebody. I think it's like Einstein, but I'm not sure, so don't quote me on that. I can't remember who he's quoting. But you have a choice as to whether you live in a peaceful world or a hostile world. And he always reminds me of that because he knows I do struggle. My default is much quicker in the direction of, you hate me, I'm scared of you, or I'm paranoid, or whatever. So I was already like, pick the bathing suit that's like a dark color, just in case you like sweat through your clothes walking over. Like These are the things I think about. Phil and my brother laugh because I am obsessive about anywhere I go when I get out of the car or I stand up at a restaurant. Is my ass okay? (laughs) That should be on some merch. Is my ass okay? Is my ass, is it all clean back there? Because I've got this thing also of like, you ever wear certain clothes or fabrics where you like sweat through them or it feels like you're sweating? Like you ever sit for a long period of time and your pants feel wet, but you get up and you're not wet, but for some reason they feel wet? I hate that. I also learned from my father when I was a kid to always look at the seat or the bench in a restaurant before you sit down. 
So like clockwork, before I sit in a chair, I always look and I brush the seat because I'm not trying to sit in somebody's gook, you know? And and people do it all the time, right? Like they'll sit on a bench and they'll sit in like bird shit or something and they'll be like, I don't know how that got there. I will never be that person ever. She's trailing off into another day. No, I swear to God, it all connects. So I'm trying to paint the picture of the, ele- the level of thought insecurity and anxiety and maybe we could label that overthinking that went into this like that's what happens internally for me but I'm still on the outside like yeah I'm excited because I am that's both are true both can be true I'm I'm a little nervous I'm a little anxious because I don't know what to expect so I feel out of control and Amy is a control freak so then I show up back to the story to my sister-in-law and my brother's place before the swim lesson. And they're like, oh, we should probably tell you. So you see what was leading up to that was already like bursting at the seams. And then we tried to add five more pounds into the pair of pants that already were, were super tight. And I was like, no, what do you mean you should warn me? And she's like, well, there's some songs. And now... The control freak in me is spiraling out of control. What do you, what, what are, yeah, she's like, just hang tight. There's some dance moves that you need to know that go with this dance moves. Y'all, I was a competitive dancer for 15 years of my life. So like dance moves is not something out of the ordinary for me. Choreography is my middle name, but you're catching me. 25 minutes before we walk over there and I'm already nervous about peeing myself before I take my jean shorts off and now you're telling me I gotta learn choreography before I get in this pool with this child in front of an instructor who has to pass him (laughs) to the next level like that's a lot of pressure okay just a little So I'm like, okay, and they see the look on my face because I'm very expressive, and they're like, no, 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 I know, it seems a little intimidating, and my brother handles me meticulously, like he knows me extremely well, and he knows what I'm thinking, like he knows how I'm going to think about something, so he's very good about reassuring and giving me all of the questions that I need answered, so he's immediately like, don't worry, no one really knows them either. Your the instructor's gonna do it with you. Like any unanswered question I've got in my head, he's covering. And my sister-in-law is like, so here's how it goes. And she's like explaining, and they're like nursery rhymes, okay? She's explaining the nursery rhyme and showing me a little bit of the moves. And I'm thinking, I'm not gonna remember shit. Okay? I'm already nervous about my ass hanging out. And now I've gotta learn a dance move holding a child that you don't want me to drown. Cool. Well, also competitive swimmer growing up, (laughs) I've got lots of skills, okay? And I was a lifeguard and a swim instructor. This should have been cake, should have, okay? So we go, ends up just being one other kid. Thank God it was this child's very first lesson. They had never been there before. So although I was brand new, They were more brand new because Lucas had been there. I hadn't. So Lucas knew the shit and I didn't. But I'm relying on a one-year-old to teach me choreography. And that's not, that's just a recipe for disaster. So 
this instructor, like, as somebody who, like, reads the body language of somebody to comfort herself sometimes, this instructor's face is just stoic. I don't always do well with you, okay? Especially if I'm nervous. Now, if I'm in a position of, like, power and authority in this situation, I'll handle you just fine. But if you don't express things and I am learning from you, we're up shit's creek without a paddle, okay? We are. So this guy is like, he's like, okay, so we're going to sing this song now. And for the life of me, I cannot remember, but it's like, row, row, row your boat. Okay. And you've got to like move the child. And he explains it very quickly. And I'm thinking, good thing I had a briefing before this. So he shows it to me and I'm doing it. Mind you, you're in a pool surrounded by glass. So I am in an aquarium-like setting with observers watching me. I will never go to an aquarium again and stare at these fish. I feel for them now. I did one swim lesson and I feel for them. I am so sorry people just glue themselves to the glass and gawk at you. That is so uncomfortable. So I'm sitting there and I'm kind of tuning it out, but I see Phil in one corner, my brother in another, my sister-in-law in another, and then the other person's spouse in another. And I've got like, a, I don't know, I guess a t- quote unquote lifeguard on the deck and then the instructor in the pool and then the other dude who like clearly did not know what he was doing at all and was like holding his child wrong like not the recommended way to do some of these things and his child is wailing lucas is like smiling through it and i'm like oh thank god this is going well we get through all of this stuff and i'm trying to sing along y'all i i don't know nursery rhymes like I have never felt so stupid in my life. I, this guy was making up lyrics, adding Lucas's name into them. And I'm like, what a job you have. What a job. Like props to you that you sit here all day and you can make up these songs and memorize it. And just like, I, I'm like, I'm the person in the room of people singing happy birthday who wants to join in very loud and obnoxiously. So the other person, the person who's, birthday it is feels celebrated but I know how out of key I sound so I drown myself out and barely mumble the words like I did in school choir that is me at swim lessons I'm like very casually going row 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 your boat that's like the beginning of a horror movie this child was happy until we got to the inner tube Lucas hates a floaty And when I tell you hate, this child screamed bloody murder the minute he saw it and he wasn't even in it. And I immediately was like, oh, they warned me about this part. He does not like being restricted. Man after my own heart. He hates it. You put him, you try to put him in like a swing where he's like encaged. Fuck no. You put him in an inner tube. Mm -mm. I was at their pool over the weekend and you tried to put him in a different type of flotation device. And the minute you lift him and start to dip his feet in, you know, to the leg straps, he loses it. He likes freedom and independence. And I respect it. But also, sir, you're not going to pass this class if you don't enjoy the fucking inner tube. So like 
All you got to do is sit in this and let it do the work for you. And you want to make it harder on yourself. And that leads me (laughs) into today's topic, because that's a life motto that I shouldn't live by. But I feel like I have for quite some time. Like you could make this easier on yourself, but you don't. Like I could just receive the love and the support and the comfort and the reassurance and the unconditional love that my partner gives me. But no, as a trauma survivor, I like to fight against it because I like to make shit difficult. It's like I want for something and then I get the thing and then it's like, oh no, thing is dangerous. The thing that I wanted is dangerous. So now I got to keep it at a distance from me and battle it out. And the thing is so consistent and stable. It sits there and it's like, what the fuck are you doing? It's, (laughs) it's literally like a dog chasing his tail it that hands down that is what happens not just with me with a lot of us trauma survivors is like not always our fault until it is our fault and hear me out before I get into the other side of this about trauma supporters okay it's not your fault you have trauma it's not my fault I have trauma it's something I had to come to accept and live with And it means I work harder at myself just to function day in and day out. It's hard fucking work. And if you were to ask Phil, how hard does she work? He would look at you dead in the eye and go, I don't know a single person who works harder on themselves than Amy does. I get up at the crack of dawn every day just to make sure my nervous system is regulated, make sure I have had downtime to really process and reflect and connect and ground myself and then I take a good solid hour and a half to like sit there with my journal while I sip my coffee and I reflect and I meditate and like that's a daily thing and that's just like one aspect of what I'm doing to make sure that my head and my body and my heart are in the right place to enter my day so that I don't sabotage myself so that I don't have unnecessary conflict, so that I don't take the pain that lives inside of me at times out on the people that I love most around me. And so, yeah, when I don't properly take care of myself, then what happens is I become like a dog chasing its tail and I make shit harder on me than I need to. And then I make shit harder on the people around me than I need to. And, and those people who are like stable and secure and can see things a little bit clearer because they've got a different filter, stand there and they're like, I don't know, you're just, okay, I'm going to let you go for a while. Okay, keep going, keep going. You'll get dizzy eventually. It's like when Lucas has a temper tantrum and he's just like, it happened the other day. My sister-in-law was trying to cook and he was not he was just like at the point of like he was hangry and he was extra tired and she couldn't hold him while she was cooking she stopped and she'd pick him up once in a while but then she's like okay like let me finish I'm like I'm trying to make you food and so she put him down and she opened her drawer with all of her like rubber made containers and just lets him like have a ball with them to distract himself and he's flinging these suckers all over the place. And it's still not helping. At one point, he threw them all out of the drawer and then he just fell on the ground on his ass and he sat there wailing. And she's like standing right there looking at him going, 
baby, it's okay. Like making your food, you're going to eat any minute now. Auntie can put you in your high chair and he is just crying. He can't hear her. I can't hear her. His needs are overwhelming in that moment and he doesn't have the ability yet, the skill set yet to self-soothe. And so the best thing you can do is give them the space without trying to fix it to learn how to self-soothe. And sometimes that does mean, given the specific situation, okay, you know what, just cry it out. And instead of saying, what are you crying for? Stop crying like I grew up with. You go, I understand you're cranky right now. I understand you're tired, whatever words you want to use. I understand it's okay to be sad. Mom's going to give you your dinner now. And you validate and you reassure. And then all of a sudden, like that, he suddenly shifts when you give him a plate of freaking tomatoes. Then he's like happy as a clam for about 20 minutes. And then he's back having a fit again. And that may not be the best example to use my nephew to explain how an adult with trauma might react, but I think it actually is a good visual representation for us. Because if you liken a partner or a friend or a loved one to a trauma survivor, to my sister-in-law and how she's navigating him having a temper tantrum on the floor, that's sometimes how a supporter feels. Like, I'm trying everything I can. I'm giving you the reassurance I can and I can't access you right now, you know? And like, if we want to get a little bit woo-woo for a second, then we can explain it like they're on two different frequencies, right? She's maintaining an emotional balance with herself and not dropping to his emotional state as a reaction to his emotional state, which is what I grew up with, right? Maybe you too. If you started crying or got hurt by something and you had a temper tantrum, did you have parents or guardians who then too, because you had a temper tantrum, had a temper tantrum? So now you've got the person that should be the leader, the person that should be the stable consistent support system leading the way, right? Providing a space to feel validated and soothed and reassured. Now you've got them losing their shit too. So you've got a child and an adult losing their shit. So who's the leader? Nobody. Hence childhood trauma. Hashtag childhood trauma. So as a supporter, you have to. I posted a thread recently on Instagram. Those threads are priceless. And I know I'm biased, but I'll tell you what, I'm giving you information that I've learned from experience and I'm giving you information that will change your life if you have it. To have some of these pieces of information is incredibly validating, reassuring, it provides relief. And those things combined can change your entire experience in a heartbeat after reading. I read something on Instagram the other day. It was for children because I follow these accounts now because I want to better myself in, in learning and preparing myself for when I have children, but learning how to navigate speaking in certain ways to my nephew. And I don't know everything. For fuck's sake, I'm the first one to acknowledge that. I'm always learning. 
So I was reading something and they said, you know, it was something about affirming statements to say to a child. Instead of calling them dramatic, call them emotionally aware. Something like that. I don't know if that's the exact one, but it was something like that where it was like, instead of this, you label it this. And I was like, I read this thread myself as an adult who does this for a living, who talks and helps people for a living. I read this. I started crying, which probably means shit to you at this point because I told you I cry about everything. But I started crying because it sparked something in me, like a level of relief came out. I started crying and then I went, oh my God, just to read those shifts in language did something about my memory of childhood and my self-perception now did something for me to the extent where I was like saving this post, keeping it here, shared it with my brother and sister-in-law, like, holy shit, that just changed my entire inner world in a heartbeat, right? So back to my point, I posted a thread about partners to trauma survivors recently. And one of the things in that thread was like confusing people because it said trauma survivors want their partner to have boundary or their friend or whoever fill in the blank for you. I'm speaking to partners like that's how I'm going to talk about it. But you can fill in the blank for whoever you want, family member, friend, whatever. Okay. We want our people closest to us, our partners to have boundaries. We want you to respect yourself. This stumped so many people in the comments, so much so that it actually confused me as to why they were confused. Like I had to reread my own post and go, I don't understand what's confusing about that. Like if anyone breaks it down very simply and straightforward, it's me. Hands down, that is what I do. So where did I mince words? Where did I confuse you? What is confusing about this? We want our partners to respect themselves. And they were like, well, what does that mean? That seems selfish. What the fuck is selfish about that? That's selfless. I want you to respect yourself around me because I maybe tried to respect, I did, didn't know how to, but tried to respect myself in past traumatic, abusive situations and couldn't, didn't have the skills or the knowledge to, wasn't allowed to, was threatened, was fearing punishment, abandonment, whatever, 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 fill in all those blanks, couldn't. And therefore, felt like I had no voice, felt like I had to oblige and obey and appease, and basically completely abandoned myself in that process, pedestaling you, losing myself, losing my identity, and all of a sudden dropping very, very low into a deep, dark place, because I am no longer connected to me. There is Nothing confusing about saying, I want my partner to, I want you to be honest about your needs because I've only been with people who didn't know how to speak up for their needs and assumed I could read their mind, assumed I could read their silence, assumed I just knew things through silence, lack of communication, and then you blamed me and you took it out on me when I didn't guess right. That's tormenting. I don't want to be in an environment where I have to guess and check that you need space, that you need alone time. I don't want to be in an environment where I don't know that you're upset, but I should assume you are because you're giving me the silent treatment. That's abuse. 
I don't want that. I want you to be able to have boundaries and speak up for yourself. I want you to be honest with me. I want you to be able to be like, yo, I need some space to take care of me now. And that doesn't mean that I am angry at you or I'm abandoning you, right? That is how a partner to a trauma survivor needs to, and you know I hesitate saying it that way, but this is the truth, needs to speak and take care of themselves. It's not going to be healthy for a trauma survivor to be with an individual who is not taking care of themselves properly. Now, you might think, well, like, is that lopsided? No, because I'm speaking to trauma survivors who have moved through their trauma. They're on the other side of it, and now they're trying to function in healthy environments, supportive places, supportive relationships. And therefore, in order to get from point A to point B, they've had to do an immense amount of work just to get there. So they're actively, you are actively taking care of yourself. Therefore, you deserve and desire a partner who is equally doing the same. I don't care if they've been through trauma or not. And that's the other thing you have to remember. Who cares? They're not better than you because they haven't been through trauma. They have different shit they struggle with. And this is something trauma survivors need to remember. It's very easy to place people above you or ahead of you and put yourself down low due to your own guilt and your own shame and your own self-worth and immediately think they know more than me or they know what's best for me. No, that's your trauma talking. That's your codependency talking. That's your lack of self-trust talking. You have to recognize that like in spite of your experiences, you are a good person and you have a lot of great qualities about you and anyone would be fucking lucky to be in your life. Just because you've made decisions in the past where maybe you thought someone was good or supportive or loving and then all of a sudden that was not the case doesn't mean you don't deserve somebody great. And once you get over the I deserve it part, Then it's a matter of, okay, let me welcome it in. And once you welcome it in, your partner has to be on their shit too. So let's speak to you guys now, partners to the trauma survivors. And again, I don't care if that trauma survivor is your mom, your child, your neighbor, your best friend, or your spouse or significant other. I don't care who it is. I'm speaking to you. Okay, my trauma supporters, partners to trauma survivors, friends to trauma survivors, listen, it is not necessarily the easiest role to be in the life or close and intimate with an individual who has been through so much trauma, abuse, pain in their life. And the reason I say that and validate that for you is because I need you to recognize that you are an incredibly kind, loving, honest, empathetic individual to see past somebody's past, to see beyond somebody's hurt and struggles and pain, to be able to look at them and be like, no, you are not damaged or broken. I see you and I love you. I say this because there are many individuals in this world 
who immediately default to a judgmental place because they project their own inner judgment and their own pain onto another individual. So in other words, what I'm saying to you as a partner to a trauma survivor or an abuse survivor, you have, you must have done a significant amount of work on yourself or have had loving experiences in your life to the degree that you are grounded, regulated, balanced enough to be able to look at people for who they really are and not judge them for what they've been through. And that, we need to pause, is an honorable quality, is a mature quality, is a supportive quality. And that's not everybody. I speak on this from experience. Like I speak to people all day, every day. And that is not something that every single person is capable of doing. Most people go to a judgmental place. I don't want someone who's damaged. Why? You're damaged too. Like if we're going to toss that word around, everybody is. Everybody's been through something. We can't compare pain. I always tell you that. You cannot compare and contrast your pain or your experiences. Just because one person's version of trauma is maybe in comparison significantly greater than somebody else's doesn't mean that one is better than the other or better off than the other. Just because one person grew up in an environment that, you know, was was more loving or balanced or supportive in comparison to somebody who grew up with parents who maybe were less supportive or more invalidating or abusive, maybe it was a toxic stress environment, doesn't mean that one is better than the other. It does mean one's got a skill set the other doesn't. But that's like comparing people when they go to college and they study something. I'm sorry, the doctor is not better than the lawyer and the lawyer is not better than the doctor. They have two different skill sets and they're used for two different things. I'll tell you what, the fact that I have to pause recording because there are airplanes flying overhead. I know you heard that. I apologize as always. I wish... I had the magical ability to control my surroundings or build myself a soundproof box to record in maybe one day, maybe one day. But until that day arrives, we will adjust accordingly and just deal with it because honestly, like what a better lesson in life than to be like, okay, you know what? Sometimes there's like annoying noises and there's like a nuisance outside and I still got to keep going. I still got to stay focused. I still got to function as a normal human being anyway. So back to my point. Partners to trauma survivors. The last thing that a trauma survivor needs is you to enable them. They need accountability and they have to take it themselves. It's not your job to always be the person encouraging or or requiring it of them. They have to have a willingness and a want to hold themselves accountable and actively work through or communicate through struggles or conflicts with you as a team. The last thing though that is gonna be beneficial is for you to constantly turn the other cheek and make excuses that the reason they act a certain way or talk a certain way or disrespect you a certain way or project certain things is because of their trauma. You making excuses for them enables them to make excuses for themselves. 
Accountability is key. They have to want personal accountability and it's your job to uphold your own boundaries to encourage accountability. Now, where you start to like lean into an unhealthy, unsupportive space is if you're going to blame them for every problem, every conflict, every miscommunication. You have to be willing to hold yourself accountable too. It's really important that you not go into a relationship like this with a trauma or abuse survivor and look at the dynamic as I'm better than them or I know more than them. The truth is, just like a doctor and lawyer, right, they've got different skill sets and experiences than you. And so what they might not be that great at, you might be great at. But what they are great at, you may, you know, struggle with. And that's okay. Like, there are weak points in all of our lives, and we can always strengthen them. But to pedestal yourself or create some level of hierarchy within the dynamic, again, relationship, friendship, whatever, and be like, ugh, I'm... A lot of people do this. I, I listen to a lot of people do this and have to like course correct there because I listen to individuals who are working with me sometimes be like, well, it's just like they don't work on themselves. And, and I always have to like reel it in and be like, you don't know that. Just because they're not maybe going to a life coach or a therapist or reading a self-help book does not mean they're not working on themselves. It looks different for everybody. There is no reason to judge or assume it's got to look a certain way in order to get to a certain outcome. Not everybody wants to go to therapy. Some people prefer someone like me, right, which is therapeutic, but I get to tell you personal experiences. You know I've been through this shit, so I'm not just reading out of a textbook. This is not just like, oh, I studied and took a test and I passed it and so I can help you. This is like I lived it and survived. You want a survivor's guide to this? Hi, hello, that's me, right? But some people don't want that personal aspect. They're like, I don't know if I trust you. I'd rather go to somebody who's reading out of a textbook. Cool, go to them, that's fine. We don't need to compare and contrast. What works for one doesn't work for all. So don't create that hierarchy in your head. And if you've created that hierarchy to some degree, the way you kind of level it out is you got to identify where you're growing too. Because that's something that will become triggering to a trauma survivor who is actively working through their stuff. If it starts to feel like they're always taking the, the blame, they're always holding themselves accountable, but you're not, you're projecting, maybe that's your struggle, that's your weak point they're going to start to resent you and wonder if they're in a healthy dynamic. So to be supportive to them, you have to be advocating for yourself and your own personal growth as well. Now, I want to address this. There's this fine line in these types of relationships between a trauma supporter and a trauma survivor, okay? That's how we'll say it, trauma supporter and a trauma survivor. There's this fine line of being comforting, being supportive and not giving them the necessary space or encouraging them to take the necessary space to self-soothe and self-regulate. And I will say, I've fallen into this trap. I've, I've didn't feel like for God knows how long. Like I had people in my life that were capable of supporting me. 
And the truth is, I really didn't. I always had somebody that I was paying to support me, which was great. But the people outside of that environment, I didn't feel like I I was safe with or I could trust to do that. So when I found somebody in my partner now, Phil, who could, who showed me through consistency and patience that they could, I always talk about this imbalance. This is really, really important. You go to an extreme. You overcompensate. So I went from don't talk to anyone about anything, keep everyone at arm's length, only talk to the professional, to, oh my God, here's somebody who can handle and support this. Word vomit. Here you go. You overcompensate. And luckily, I have a partner who's really great at all of these things. And so he, and mind you, listen, he also has his struggles. Like, I'm not trying to paint a picture of perfection at all. It's just not my place to talk about his struggles. I'm talking about on the receiving end of him, this is how he supports me, right? And he's he was, from the get-go, really great about being like, I will listen and I will support and I will respect and I will comfort to a degree, to the extent of which my boundaries are here. You have to self-soothe. And I resented it. I'm not going to lie. I resented it because as somebody with my experience, I was like, shit, man, you know, that's not fair. I have comforted and soothed everybody in my life. And and I get paid to, to do that as well, yes. But like in my personal life, I've done that for everybody. Why can't somebody do that for me? Like I not only, I never had space during childhood, like Lucas has space to just sit on the floor and like wail and nobody yells at him, right? They give him the space to feel and not try to fix. I didn't have that space because my adults started crying too and then I didn't have space to feel so I felt an obligation to comfort them and then that obligation was like deepened because I was told like, oh, so-and-so's upset and you probably did something go fix it so I wasn't allowed the room to to just take care of me or have somebody take care of me I mean have somebody take care of me when I was at the age where I needed that I've always had to grow up quicker and be the adult in that in that respect so I resented the fact that he was like you have to take care of yourself and I was like I'm tired what do you mean? I'm tired. I take care of myself and everybody. Like, gee, I've been multitasking since a t- whatever year. We'll say as far as I can remember my teenage years. I've been multitasking, taking care of everybody. Look how well I've done for me. Why can't you soothe me? I want someone to soothe me. And it was the best and most brilliant thing he could have done. Listening. Like, I show you love, I show you affection, I show you kindness, I give you a listening ear, I give you the space, but you're responsible for soothing yourself and regulating yourself. I'm not doing it for you. And he held that line. And, you know, I had my temper tantrum of sorts, and then I got out of my own way and did it, because that's who I am. And I was like, you know what? Damn it. (laughs) brilliant. That helped me. 
that helped me. But I can see why I resisted it because of what I just explained. I wasn't give. I what I never had the space growing up to just be a kid. I, not emotionally, not mentally. I didn't. Physically, yeah, I got to sit on the porch and play with Fisher Price people. So trauma supporters, partners to trauma survivors, you have to know your boundaries. You have to know your limits. You have to manage your own emotions. And and here's why, right? I mean, this this goes really across the board whether you're a partner to a trauma survivor or not, truly. But speaking specifically to trauma survivors and trauma supporters, the trauma supporter managing their own emotions is helpful to the trauma survivor because the trauma survivor more than likely was only in environments or in relationships with individuals who took their emotions out on them. And therefore they were blamed, they were told they needed to fix something or they couldn't do certain things. They had to manage other people's emotions and therefore, like I just explained in my own upbringing, didn't have the room or the space or the support coming back to them. So to be supportive in a relationship like this, it's important that you're advocating for yourself and taking care of yourself to that degree. And managing your own emotions means okay, when I get upset, I'm not going to immediately have an outburst because that could be re-traumatizing to the trauma survivor. I mean, truly, that could be harmful to anybody. But speaking to trauma survivors, that is re-traumatizing to many of us. I'll speak on behalf of myself. Don't fucking yell at me. Don't take your anger out on me. Don't raise your voice with me. Those will re-traumatize me. Those are not okay with me. I don't handle conflict that way. I don't manage my emotions that way. I don't handle anger that way. And I've learned from being in environments where only that's only ever what I experienced. And so that's a takeaway right there. Okay? Rewind. Re-listen. That's a takeaway. I've only ever been in environments with people who took it out on me. And so, yeah, I'm kind of fucked up from that. But also... Now I'm at a place where I learned from that. So I can step back and be like, well, that's a boundary for me. I don't want that coming at me. You have to manage your emotions. That's something that trauma survivors need to keep in mind. I can't say this is a, this can apply to everything, but a lot of a lot of your situations, you were probably made to feel like you were less than unknowledgeable, insignificant, not good enough, all of those things, whether they were directly told to you, like my experience, or implied, also like my experience, then, you know, you walked away feeling like you're the problem, you're wasted space, all things that I have personally felt, okay, and struggled with, like, you know, that you're not good enough, so on and so forth. But The interesting thing about trauma is it was somebody who was traumatized and abused that traumatized you. And therefore, everything that they made you believe about yourself was actually what they believed about themselves because somebody once planted that seed inside of them. And so part of trauma healing is like unraveling that inner narrative and getting to a place where you recognize like it's an undoing process, okay? Getting to realize 
It's like, actually, sidebar, it's like untangling the chain to your necklace. I fucking hate when my necklaces get tangled. I hate it, whether they're tangled on my neck or when I take them out and suddenly they're like randomly in a knot and you're like, where's the fucking gnome that like played with my jewelry last night and tied it in a knot and I suck at getting it out, okay? (laughs) That is what like trauma healing is, is like untangling that chain, okay? So it's an undoing of sorts. It's like scraping away all of these words and experiences you were told and went through that harmed you, that don't belong to you. They don't belong to you. And that is something a supporter to a trauma survivor needs to keep in mind. That when the trauma survivor is triggered, it's truly in 98% of the cases not having anything to do with them. It's from a past experience that is getting projected onto them because in understanding your partner, you've got to have a level of understanding with trauma and, and you could go as basic as this. Trauma survivors are triggered. Abuse survivors are triggered by confusingly similar situations. I can't put it more direct than that. Confusingly similar is language I learned when I went to trademark court. That's correct. Your girl went to trademark court many, many years ago and won without a lawyer. I was my own lawyer. So yeah, I learned trademark law just for funsies because that's what I do. I'm weirdo. Uh, Confusingly similar is a terminology they use with trademarks, registered trademarks. You can't have a trademark if somebody else's trademark. You can contest it if it's confusingly similar. Verbiage, design, the whole thing, okay? That is the language I use for speaking about trauma triggers. If the experience is confusingly similar, smell, taste, touch, facial expression, tone of voice, the way it's articulated, the words chosen, whatever. I don't even care. It could be down to like the outfit somebody's wearing. Like triggers have no boundaries, okay? If it's confusingly similar, the trauma survivor will get triggered and their body feels like it's happening again in the present. And can't see you clearly. You can't access them. They can't access you in that moment. Because now they've just exceeded their window of tolerance. Where your nervous system has a window of tolerance. Okay. They've exceeded it. And they've either gone into fight, flight, or freeze. Or fall. Okay. So at that moment, there's no benefit as the trauma supporter supporter, to take that shit personally. But this also goes with any situation that's also not trauma-related. Is it, is it of value for me to sit and take it personally that my nephew is crying on the floor because he wants his mom's attention and I'm standing right there trying to entertain him and he wants no part of it. He's just throwing Rubbermaid containers at me because for some reason the man likes to organize shit at the age of one, okay? Throwing colored containers at me, wants nothing to do with me when I'm easily and readily accessible to him. Is it helpful for me to be like, my nephew hates my guts and doesn't want to play with me? No, that's so silly. 
Do we do that? Yes, we do. We do. But that's so silly. That's not personal. Those are his needs getting activated in a moment, and that is his reaction. And who does he know to be the person that's most consistent, who supports and soothes and comforts him? Mom. She's there the most. So of course, and listen, he lived in her fucking womb. I mean, I'm sure if I walked around, the womb sounds like like an airplane engine. So everybody makes fun of me that I sleep with like a box fan. And I'm like, peasants, little do you know, I'm smarter than you. Like, I sleep like a baby because I've got the box fan blowing a wind tunnel at me, making white noise. That comforts me because it takes me back to the time when I was in a womb. Fuck's sake, they create cribs now with that sound because that's what it sounds like, okay? Genius. Genius. She's a genius. So, yeah, it's not going to help for me to take that personally. So to, to my trauma supporters, partners to trauma survivors, friends to trauma survivors, family to trauma survivors, it's not helpful to take it personally. Now, hear the rest of this. You don't have to tolerate it either. Just because they're in a triggered state doesn't mean it's okay for them to abuse you. I get this a lot. People are like, what happens when their triggers start to borderline abuse me? You you have your boundaries. Like, I don't know where you missed that part of the conversation, but I said it numerous times. If you're not understanding what a boundary is, don't worry. The course is almost done. It's coming out very soon. And it's specific to my trauma survivors. So if you're a trauma supporter, you could take it too. But you have to have your boundaries. So yes, you can support. Yes, you can walk away. Yes, you can disengage. Yes, you could not take it personally. But if they're saying nasty shit to you, if they're getting physical or violent with you, if they're accusing you of things, if they're harming you mentally, emotionally, physically in any way, you don't have boundaries in place, clearly. You should set them and uphold them. Again, if you're unclear, I got something coming for you that will support you and guide you through that process. But that's the answer to that question. Don't take it personally but also maintain your boundaries. And upholding a boundary means you've communicated it, it's clear what the consequences are, and if they continue to do whatever they're doing that's harming you and they overstep whatever you said the parameters were to not overstep, then you have to match your actions to your words. And that looks like whatever you said, if you said don't call me that name or don't have a conversation with me about X, Y, and Z, and they proceed, what does it look like for you to respect you in that moment? Walk away, reinforce it again, tell them that, you know, there's a consequence here for them bringing it up. And I don't know what that might look like for you. You have to decide that. But an example might be that, like, you're going to distance yourself or, you know, hang up the phone now and you can talk in a few days once you guys have like processed and calmed down and found a more balanced place to approach this. Trauma supporters have to be an individual who is not going to be emotionally swayed 
by the ups and downs that a trauma survivor is going through. And that requires you to be mature and emotionally aware on your end. That requires you to have your own coping skills while also simultaneously being willing to be supportive and reassuring and validating to your partner. Again, things that really can be implemented in any relationship, not just trauma-based, but I'm giving you specific examples that are trauma-related. Now I'm going to end with addressing this because I've seen this question come up multiple times on Instagram. And that's, what do I do if we both have trauma and we trigger each other? And the other question, similar, is what do I do if they're not helping themselves and they have trauma and I'm their partner or their friend? Now, to the first one, if you both have trauma, you both should be actively having a support system. Again, no judgment, whatever that looks like is what it looks like. I obviously am a strong advocate for having professional support. I have it in my own life. I provide it to people. So if that's what you're needing, I have my services available on my website or at the link in my bio on my Instagram at Amy the Life Coach. I can provide you that support or a different type of professional that resonates most with what type of approach you want can provide you that support. You have to have a support system, okay? You have to have somebody who has a sound mind, who understands trauma, who you can turn to to navigate through these things and learn coping skills to regulate. Now, both of you need that if you both have trauma. Now, believe it or not, the majority of people have trauma. So the the percentage of you that are in situations where you both have some level of trauma, one just might be aware of it and the other might not, is a large percentage. So like when I said earlier, you both have to kind of always be working on yourselves and be willing to grow and hold yourselves accountable and look for ways to like connect and, and understand and find solutions together. That applies here too. If you both have trauma, it's not necessarily an extra obstacle. It just reinforces the need to have have a space where you're turning to, even if it's with yourself and a journal or meditation or yoga or whatever, to be understanding you a little bit more. And if you catch yourself in a pattern of behavior where there's these incessant triggers happening and it's creating conflict on the regular, that is something that you have to like pause and look at and address If you see anything repeat, pause, look at it, and address it individually first, then bring it into the relationship and have a conversation if it's a pattern of behavior that impacts both of you, okay? For the individuals who it's one person with trauma and the other does not, and that one person won't acknowledge their trauma or won't get help for it, I'm going to say the same thing that I said earlier, and you're going to want to punch your phone, but that's okay with me. Manage your emotions when I say this. Have your boundaries. Have your boundaries. Sometimes you can see see the potential in someone, but if they're not actively showing you growth, if they're not at, listen, I'll speak on behalf of myself. If I was somebody in this relationship right now who was like struggling and not actively working hard enough to show visible change and growth, 
then I don't really, it's, it's going to become harmful for my partner to stick with somebody. And honestly, I mean, I can't, I wouldn't be able to live with behaving that way. I'm not that type of individual. But if I was, I can't really fault somebody for being like, listen, I see so much goodness in you and I see so much potential, but you won't get out of your own way. You won't even help yourself. So I could love you, but I can't help you and I can't save you and I can't fix you. And that's what you have to remember is you got to respect yourself. And I know not a lot of people want to hear that, but um, if anyone's going to give it to you clear and direct, it's going to be Amy. So you have to love yourself enough to look at a situation honestly and be like, do I see change? Do I see growth in the areas that are potentially harmful for myself, my mental health, or our future together. And if those are not actively being worked through on both ends, right, as a couple but as individuals, then that might be a situation where a hard boundary needs to be laid down and you may or may not have to make a decision to distance yourself or walk away. So... That's today's episode, friends. I'll try to end on a high note here. I'll give you a little takeaway, okay? Takeaway for everybody, whether you're a trauma supporter or a trauma survivor, I want to give you this one takeaway, and that's that it is your responsibility at the end of the day, regardless of what you've been through or whatever relationship, friendship, family dynamic you enter into, to know you the most and not lose yourself to other people's perceptions of you. And truly, directly to my trauma survivors, this one goes for you. You've probably been in multiple situations in your life or one significant one where you made somebody else's perception of the world and you have more power and influence over how you think of you and how you behave than how than than you than you should. And the biggest part of untangling your trauma is coming back to a clear self-perception. And like I said, kind of untangling that, that knotted up chain and realizing I wasn't so bad to begin with. I just had a bad experience. So whoever you are, whatever your role is, in whatever relationship you enter into, I think that's a really great takeaway because that's something that really hit home when I told you I read something on Instagram the other day and it really applies here because at the end of the day, regardless of what your partner has or your friend or family has been through, they have to look at themselves and want to be proud of how they feel and see themselves, right? And you as well. So if you enter into a relationship and you're proud of how you're managing yourself, you're proud of how you're communicating with them, you're proud of how you're supporting them, then that is all that matters at the end of the day and vice versa. And for my trauma survivors, part of your work, regardless of where you're at in the process, is clearing that self-perception and coming back home to yourself and recognizing that that was... That was a situation that is no longer present, okay? And something Phil always says to me, he actually said it after, remember the story? It was like 
episodes ago, not that many ago, but episodes ago where I talked about the um, the manhunt when we first got home from Mexico. So I said, I remember saying to him the next day, and I might have said it on that episode. I said to him, I'm kind of scared to go outside, but you were the one who was like walking around outside at night while this was happening, like while the cops were searching for these armed suspects, like outside our Airbnb. How do you just walk these streets the next day and not get scared or traumatized by it? Because like, again, as somebody who's been through a lot of trauma, like that is the first thing I think about, like, ooh, scary. No, don't take me there. And he goes, it was a different day. And it's easy, yes, for somebody who hasn't been through repeated trauma in an environment every day with a, with an individual every day to be able to separate the days. But he's got a very, very, very valuable point in saying that. It's a different day and you have a choice. I'm going to wrap this with a bow like I like to do. You have a choice every day to wake up and choose a hostile environment or a loving and peaceful one. And I work so gosh darn hard. I was going to say goddamn, but I didn't want to offend my religious following. So <laughs> goddamn, God that's authentic to me. Goddamn hard every day to, God, it's a people pleaser in me that does that, you know, that to not live in a hostile space, especially with those closest to me and my loving loving, patient partner. And if anything, what gets me there is a little piece of that nugget of wisdom he gave me, which is like, we might have had a conflict yesterday or yesterday might have been a bad day for me, but that was yesterday. And I can start again at any point in the day. I don't have to wait until the day ends, but I can start again today and pull out for me, this is what guides me through my life, pull out my lessons from that day before and implement them today. That keeps me feeling in control and powerful if I do that. So there's your takeaway. Enjoy. I'll talk to you next week. Kisses. Ciao, ciao.